Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Scripture today is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Are there any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Hi, my name is Erin James Brown. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm just so thankful you're here. Church doesn't happen unless we show up and do the thing together. Uh, The Holy Spirit is still moving, but we add power to her by being present with one another. Will you pray with me? God, there is power in using our voice. We know this, God, because you use your voice to speak into life creation. And so, God, we hope to follow that example, to use our voices as powerful ways of prayer, holding our officials accountable, creating communities that are just and righteous, and lifting up the worries and the fears of our hearts. And so, God, we pray that you continue to help us find our voice, practice using it, and feel bold in sharing our voice with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So James. James is the brother of Jesus. And he was murdered. Murdered by the state for, in air quotes here, disobeying the law. This is the closest living relative of the Savior of the the world, and he dies a brutal, fearful death. And so in his last sermon, which is pretty short and sweet, some really fabulous editors took his last sermon, added a few more things to expand upon it, and then sent it out to all of the churches in the diaspora, these fledgling communities that were out in the sticks trying to figure out how to behave, how to treat each other well, 
and how to do this thing called church, which church is just a churchy word that just means life following Jesus and life lived together. And so these communities received this letter from James, the brother of Jesus, the closest living relative to our Lord and Savior. And then they debated and argued over what to do with this post-resurrected life, where to go and how to make decisions. And James's words are kind of rambly, and they're meant to like course-correct the church so they didn't end up breaking apart like so many faith communities of that day did. And so when the church folks gathered in someone's home, they got the letter and huddled together, and they would read these scrawling pages and remember that they were brothers and sisters and siblings in faith, forgiving each other's sins and healing each other's wounds and loving despite mistakes. And I don't know about you, if you've read the rest of James or even just a little bit we read today, he's kind of mansplainy. <laughs> uh, he gives very clear instructions about all kinds of scenarios that I did not ask for. And it almost feels or reads like a late night infomercial, like you go and turn on the, and he describes all kinds of situations and this one thing that can fix all of the things, like, are you suffering from stress? Are you sick as a dog? Are you just a failure? Well then, for $3.99, for 10 payments of $3.99, you can get prayer. This magical miracle activity acts like a DM in God's inbox. Feeling anxious? Pray it away. In the name of Jesus, you got a headache, go get that olive oil out of the kitchen, mark yourself, and boom, that pain is gone, girl. Cursing in front of your parents and getting in way too much trouble, say these simple words beginning with our Father, and you'll never have to eat a bar of soap again. See, the problem is, James sounds like rude. This letter can then be misconstrued and manipulated, totally changing the words of what he probably intended. And that's true of a lot of our Bible. Maybe you've experienced this. People who have used the Bible as a weapon against you or against the people you love. People have used the Bible to try and teach you how to be a person of faith when really what they're doing sounds like uh, putting coins in a vending machine and just getting from God what you hope to receive. So because this is the way our Bible is somehow misconstrued or manipulated or plucked and pulled apart, here at Urban Village Church, we are four sites across the whole city of Chicago, which is really radical and weird and awesome. But we're doing a sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So. Because we believe that there are so many things, platitudes that people throw out at the most inopportune times, like God helps those who help themselves, which, spoiler alert, nope, not in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin is credited with saying that. So we're going over these things that people think are in the Bible, but actually are not, and also things that have been used and abused, uh, or just leaving us scratching our heads, pieces from the Bible that help us wonder, but also cause us really deep concern about what to do with this faith life. And so today's passage is about the power of prayer. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And while prayer is powerful, there are some of us who have dedicated our lives to prayer and learning about prayer. This passage is also really weird. Who, what is prayer? What does it mean to be righteous? What the heck is powerful and effective? And do we have like check marks to make sure we're meeting all of those goals? Prayer that is powerful and effective, prayed by the righteous, kind of sounds like 
if you prayed and didn't get what you asked for, it means there's something wrong with your faith life. Or there's something wrong with your personal life. Or there's secrets within, hidden within your heart that's keeping this prayer from getting through to God. And this interpretation, this passage of the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, at best is teaching us that prayer is a mode of using our voice. It is a powerful proclaiming our, our wants and needs to the divine. But it also, at its worst, can mean that some people have a better direct line to God. Or that God moves their prayer up in the queue to receive and answer it first. It kind of feels like a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of prayer when some of us don't even have boots or straps to pull up because we've been overtaxed and overcriminalized and enslaved and robbed and rounded up and targeted and feared. And so prayer is not something that is used to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Prayer is for everyone. I can be up here proclaiming that from the stage reminding you that your prayer is just as righteous. And I have to admit that in times of deep stress and fear, I have what I call lizard brain theology, where all of a sudden I revert to things that I do not believe, but things that I've been taught, and I don't know where it's coming from, and I'm really confused and kind of deeply embarrassed, but I still do it. So I have a grandmother who is very righteous, meaning like righteous as in like, yeah, dude, but also righteous as in she prays a lot. And sometimes I wonder because she's praying so much, God's like, oh God, this girl again. And then answers her prayers. And so in times of deep concern, I tend to call up my grandmother and say, oh, she's not praying. This is not going to happen. When, so about nine years ago, um, I was experiencing deep anxiety and my therapist recommended that I get a dog, uh, which is lovely. So for my birthday, my then-boyfriend, now-husband, came around the corner with this bumbly idiot of a dog. Uh, we all look much younger and much smaller in this photo. Uh, but the thing I didn't know about particularly puppies is they do not have really great immune systems that because they're so young, they're still growing, that they can often get sick, and that sickness can be fatal. And so one night, this bumbling puppy, who was growing way too rapidly, I was holding him in my arms because he was sick. Things wouldn't stop coming out of him, and I didn't know how to make it stop, and there was nothing I could do, and Google, as you know, is not helpful at all and only tells you the worst scenarios. It was late at night on a weekend. We were poor graduate students, and the small town we lived in didn't have an emergency vet clinic. And so, throughout the night, I held this tiny, helpless puppy. And I cried, and I prayed, and I didn't know what to do. I worked at a coffee shop at the time, and so I had to leave really early the next morning to go and make the coffee. And if you've ever been in a coffee shop or worked at a coffee shop, you know those big coffee grinders that just whirr while they're grinding. And so as I'm grinding the coffee, I'm hoping that the buzzing of the coffee grinding machine is drowning out the sound of my crying at my place of work because I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. My boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, was going to take the, the puppy to the vet, but it was still hours before the vet opened. And so, wiping away my tears, I ran to the bathroom, and I called my grandmother. And I asked, can you get a prayer through? 
because I don't know what to do. And this little poor thing is so cute and so helpless. And my lizard brain theology thought, if I didn't call Mimi, God won't hear it. And then, like, the lizard brain theology reinforces itself because this puppy is now, like, huge and bumbly and uh, is still around these nine years later. But then it, like, reinforces this feeling of, am I supposed to call Mimi every time? Is God really listening to me or only to the righteous folks? So I have this dog. He's nine years old now. He's still an idiot. And... <laughs> His favorite pastime is eating trash. <laughs> and he has the gut of garbage, strong steel gut, but also because he eats trash, he gets sick every once in a while. Recently, he was sick because he's an idiot eating trash. And I began to get worried again. Did he eat too many socks this time? He's getting old. Is he going to make it? But rather than reverting to my lizard brain theology and calling up Mimi, knowing that she cares and loves for me and for this weird dog, I also knew my prayer is righteous and powerful and God cares. And so I did something a little weird. Instead, I went into the kitchen. I pulled down the olive oil. It doesn't matter what kind of oil you have in your house but I dipped my finger in it. I marked the sign of the cross on this dumb dog's head. I lifted up his flappy ear and I whispered in it, you are a beloved creature of God. And I prayed. And he was fine. Because <laughs> he has a gut of steel, but also I realized I had done something totally different in that moment. Rather than reverting to thinking other people's prayers were more righteous than my own, I had used my own voice to name and claim, God listens to me as well. God cares for this dumb puppy as well. This is the power of a righteous prayer. It doesn't mean that you had to do something special in order to pray it, that God cares what you're saying, that, or that God doesn't care what you're saying, or that you have to have the special magic words to say, but that God wants to listen. God wants to sit with you in these times of stress and uncertainty and fear. Most often, this like understanding of prayer and praying for healing and praying for wealth and praying for well-being can sometimes be wrapped up into poor theology that says only certain people will prosper, only certain people will be healed, and only certain people God considers righteous and so forth, they will have a blessed life. And that's not what God is calling us to or what God calls us to be about. Instead, God says, all should be prospering. Therefore, we should be praying about our finances. We should be praying about our health. But we should also be working and actively working to make sure that people have health insurance and that it's affordable. Making sure that people have a minimum wage so that they can pay for their health insurance because we live in a country where you have to do that. And what we do in those moments when we're activating activating other people and ourselves on behalf of others is working towards the prosperity of all, not just some, not just ourselves. And that is righteous prayer. The letter of James states that the prayer of a righteous, 
of the righteous is powerful and effective. And this is a bold claim. And as a bold church, we have to rest in that. Because prayer is not a passive act. It's not something we do just sitting in our seats and never do again. But instead, it, it's a radical claim that we, we are allowed to have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. That God, the knitter of our souls, cares what we have to say and the little tiny details of our life. And so prayer is a practice that proclaims there's freedom. There's freedom from exile, there's freedom from desolation, and there's freedom from segregation. So prayer also offers us resilience. When times when hatred feels like it's knocking at our door, in times when persistent doubt about ourselves feels like it's taking over our brain, prayer reminds us that we can cry out to God. We can gather strength from the community who is praying for us, and our united voices can start a godlike revolution. So, uh, in good, I'm a, I was ordained a Baptist pastor, and in good Baptist fashion, I'm going to end with three points in a poem. I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I love it that that's a tradition that Baptists do, but instead, I'm going to offer you four ways of activating and engaging prayer in your own life. Because, let's be honest, righteous prayer is not easy. You have to build up the muscle to learn how to practice it. And so the first way that you can practice righteous prayer, righteous as in, yeah, dude, righteous, but also as in lifting up your heart to God and God hears it, is to have prayers that are already in your muscle memory that you can rely on. And so some of my favorites I will offer to you, take and use it how you want. One of them is every time something good happens. Anytime someone shows up and does the thing, anytime uh, I find a parking spot, which I don't know that God cares about my parking spot, but I also sometimes really need a parking spot, I just lift up my voice to say, thanks be to God. It's a small, tiny gesture that reminds my heart and reminds me that God gives a crap about me and my life, about us and the work we're doing. And so I say, thanks be to God. Can you try that? Thanks be to God. The other one is the best one, especially when someone's really annoying you or you can't stop thinking about them and you're worried about what you're going to say to them at your next meeting, but they keep coming up in your brain and in your mind. Maybe you're worried about what's going on in their heart and their life, but you don't have the words to say. And so your brain just keeps coming back to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I feel so out of control about how to deal with this person, how to care for this person. And so I rely on these words. God bless them. <laughs> It sounds kind of patronizing and condescending, and I'm from Texas, so it is kind of that, but it's also a way of releasing your fears and your worries about what is to come for this person or how you're going to interact with them. And so you might have to say this a million times in one day because you can't stop thinking about that thing or that one person. So to say, God bless them. And I find myself returning to those, that phrase over and over. And so we try it together. God bless them. As a way of lifting up our voices and our hearts. And then these are prayers that come back to us late in the night when you wake up from insomnia and you are racked with fear. These are words that you can rely on, that you have taught yourself in this muscle memory that becomes and teaches you to be this righteous prayer. So the other way we can pray is by praying for our church. If you are here, this is 
your community. If you're thinking about this becoming your community, we invite you to help us pray about our church because there's a lot of exciting things going on. But also, the voices and hatred is so loud in the world around us, and the stories of death are all around. And so we need power in prayer for one another to be able to stand up against it and withstand it. And so I invite you in two ways to be praying for our church. One is that our church is going through a restructuring process. We're analyzing how our staff spends our time and our resources and our finances, your finances that you generously give to the church to help us do what we do. And so I invite you to be praying about how we're going to be moving forward, what that staffing structure is going to look like, who's going to be here at UBC Edgewater, and how we're going to make it through. I also invite you to be praying about UBC Edgewater in specifics, specifically, because I don't know about you, but we keep growing. What the heck? People have babies. People with babies keep showing up. People like you keep coming and going to starting point and committing to small groups. And that's awesome and exciting. It also means, are we all going to fit? How are we going to make this happen? And so we have to be praying and praying about how are we giving of our time and our resources and our finances to one another so that we can keep being the church together, keep using our collective voice and collective action to talk to God about what we think God should be doing in this world and where we hope God is showing up, but also using our collective voice and action as a body to hold our legislators accountable, to do really creative and beautiful ministry in this city. And so I invite you to be praying about, maybe I'm really gifted at smiling at people and handing them things. Maybe I should be a greeter and I should pray about that. Or maybe I really hate smiling and I really hate people, but I, I can hit a button and change slides like a wizard. And so maybe you should be praying about joining our audiovisual team where you can sit in a booth and not talk to anyone. There are places and spaces for you, but it's about us praying about where we are going to be involved and how we're going to be committed to one another so that we continue to make church happen continue to share this bold message with a, with a world that we know needs to hear what we have found in God. And the last way you can pray is using your body. Body prayer is an ancient tradition that uses our bodies as active ways of participating in our prayer. And so we do that sometimes when we lift a hand to pray for someone, using this as a way of communicating our presence with them, using our arm and our hand. Or you can use your body marching stomping down the street, canvassing to get people registered to vote, scratching out and hearing that marker scratch on a poster board as you prepare to go to a march or a protest, uh, using your body to pat herbs into a chicken so that you can roast it and take it to a family. These are all ways we can use our body as prayer. These are ways that we contribute to the community. Praying, using these prayers that we return to, like thanks be to God, praying for our community that we believe is doing something incredible by igniting this city, and praying for each other, using our bodies as prayer. So, we're going to try it. Are you ready? I hope so. That's what Matt said. <laughs> I invite you, friends, to hold out your hands stretching your fingers a little bit wider. This is a posture of receiving, but also a posture of sharing and giving and generosity. 
And then I invite you to either flutter your eyes closed or find a fixed spot to rest your eyes on. And we pray. God who fills the empty and restores life to the tombs. For generations upon generations, God, you have heard the cries of your people. You have been moved with compassion. And so we pray, God, that you give us the boldness of Hannah to cry out honestly and with emotion for what our needs are. That you give us the courage of Abraham to step out in the uncertainty and the unknown in order to build something new and beautiful, trusting that you will go with us, God. May we be persistent in prayer. Even when pain robs us of the words to speak out loud, even when our self-confidence doesn't give us the words we know how to say, grant us confidence, God, in your steadfast love. And so I invite you, church, to take your hands and place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. God, we are reminded we belong to no one, no one else. We are your people, and you are our God. And so we are yours. We are yours. We are only yours. It's in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus, we pray. Amen.